welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Well, welcome to Empower Church Online. It is so good to have you here. Wherever you're watching from across the world, uh, more specifically to those uh, part of our Melbourne community, we're glad you're with us today. Thanks for streaming. We know that some people are um, just not too keen on getting out of the house at this point in time, being in public environments. So we would just want to take this opportunity to welcome you. However, and whenever you're connecting with us, it is good. Make sure um, jump on social media, Facebook, Instagram, come and say hello, like the video if you're watching it, um, you know, either on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or YouTube, because we just love to connect and we'd love to say hi. You can also head to our website, empowerchurch.co, and at the very bottom of that first page that you land on is um, is just a form that you can fill out so that we can be in touch. But we just want to uh, take the opportunity to welcome you. So good to have you here today. Pastor Matt's word, uh, Matt, Matt Darima's word last week was incredible, and we're going to continue to pump out some online content um, as we move forward so that you've got a place that you can land on Sunday morning to get the word. And um, and we just pray that it is a blessing, that it feeds you, that it challenges you, and that God uses it in some miraculous way to uh, do something in your life. But come on, let's pray. And then uh, we're going to head to Mark chapter number 14. Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. It is incredible. And we just want to lean into your word. We ask, Father, that it will change us. We ask that it will transform us from the inside out. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would use us this year to be your hands and your feet. Use us this year to bring glory to your name. I thank you for this word. I pray that it speaks to our hearts, it changes our lives, and I pray most of all that your presence would just be made manifest wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. If I see, seem uh, a little bit croaky or um, what have you, um, our family are getting over COVID and so we've been in ISO for the last week or so and um, we're heading out, which is good, but we're, we're still not quite <laughs> right yet. So um, just bear with me today in that area. Mark chapter 14, let's read from verse number one. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste? 
of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Verse number six, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them with any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What a fascinating story as we lead up to what's traditionally known as the passion story. One movie was made, obviously, that we know as the passion of the Christ. And that word passion, the Latin word translated for passion is simply the word suffering. And so when we talk about passion, we often talk about loud noises and football teams and different things that we might be passionate about. But the true demonstration of what you're truly passionate about is are you prepared to suffer for what you believe in? And we don't have a theology of suffering in the church because we've preached for too long a, a, a theology and we've preached a, a gospel of blessing. And whilst I believe that God's got good things for us, he's a good father, and whilst I believe that there are those that he will financially bless and there are those that he will materialistically bless and all those things are fantastic. And to be honest with you, if you live in Australia, you're probably well above the poverty line as far as the, the global poverty line goes. But friend, because we've preached such a slick external gospel where we've said, look good and Jesus will bless you, say the right things and Jesus will bless you. We've robbed the church of the power of being who it's called to be in hard times simply because we're looking to get out of them rather than to be Jesus to our community while we're in them. And this whole idea of the passion, the suffering of Jesus is an important one for us as believers to revisit. It's an important one for us to stay, take stock and really evaluate and really spend some time contemplating our own lives and thinking, Lord, um, why? You know, because maybe you're asking the question of why, why is this going on? Why am I in this? Why is this sickness happened? Why did that loved one pass? Why the pain of the last season? And the true answer may never be found, but what is at the below the surface of our Western Christianity is this idea that the, what Jesus did promise. Jesus didn't promise you that he would heal you, but he did promise you that he would be with you. Jesus didn't promise us this night of life, but he did promise that no matter what we go through, he's going to be there standing with us. And I'm not advocating for this life of poverty. I'm certainly not advocating for this life where we just kind of beat ourselves up all the time. But I'm trying to deepen the roots of your Christianity so that when crisis comes, you're not doubting the goodness of God, but that your roots are deep down in the character of who God is, understanding that, yes, God wants to, is moving for you, 
but he is also moving in you at the same time as wanting to work through you in every single season. I say all that, I suppose, just to set up the idea that the context of this story is important. In fact, any um, sound kind of interpretation of scripture, context is vital. When doing an exegesis, if you're ever studying scripture, an exegesis is really just the study of the text. And one of the most important things that you need to do is to study the context. Who is the author speaking to and what time is he speaking to? And here in this story, for the sake of time, we, we actually, this story is actually located in the context of opposition. It's located in the context of misunderstanding and impending suffering for Jesus because he is about to be crucified. There, there's a plot at play for his assassination. They are about to assassinate the Christ. They want to do it secretly. They're, the, the, the context that we have right here and right now in this, in this passage of Scripture at this beautiful moment where Jesus is anointed and is worshipped in such an extravagant way, we actually find conspiracies. We find uh, the threat of riots and public demonstration. There's corruption going on. I mean, imagine it. The religious figures of Jesus' time are trying to come up with a plan to crucify, to murder, to execute this Jesus. There's corruption. There's all sorts of things going on in society. But while the world is warring, we find one person that is worshipping. While the world is warring, we find one person worshipping. And I think this is an important thing. And, and as we kind of approach this idea of passion and primarily worship and devotion, I want to just give you four things about worship today, <coughs> excuse me, that I hope challenge you as we enter into this new year. Because I'm trying to challenge you, I'm trying to help you to position your life so that when you go through hard times, you'll still be like David and say, my soul will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. I'm trying to strengthen your resolve so that when you and I go through more lockdowns or whatever the case might be, or you get hit with COVID or whatever it is, there's still a praise in you. There's still a devotion to Jesus in you. As I just said before, while the world was warring, this woman was found worshipping. And the first thought that I want you to write down today is that worship stands in contrast to the world. The world system is to, the world's way, if you like, is to try and um, influence the world through worldly ways. But we see it through Jesus' life. Jesus had no agenda in trying to influence the political arena by being a part of a political system. Jesus had, had no, no business, even though he knew there was corruption and he knew that things were broken in trying to fix things in the way that the world tried to fix things. He had a different way. And like we see that in the life of Jesus, we also see that through this extravagant and genuine <coughs> worshipper, this woman 
that comes and anoints his feet. And worship always stands in contrast. It operates to a different frequency, to a different rhythm. The drummer is playing at a different um, BPM to the rest of the world. They, they are, it stands in contrast to what is happening in the world. And while the world are protesting, this woman is worshipping. And while the religious world are doing this, this woman is worshipping. While demonstrations and hate and racism and all these things are going on in our world, this woman is worshipping. And it's a picture of how we in this season prophetically need to position ourselves. While the world are trying to use worldly ways to bring about change, you and I must be committed. We must be committed to bringing about a worship to Jesus. Worship stands in contrast to the world. It always operates in, an, in the opposite direction of the world. Worship is countercultural. Worship was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to be this thing that you're like, ah, oh, this is just so good. Maybe you and I have an incomplete, not a wrong, but an incomplete definition of what worship is. If we think worship, I just love to worship because sometimes worship is difficult. Because the type of worship I'm talking about isn't about singing a few songs on Sunday as a part of our liturgy in our worship services. Although that's part of it and I love it and I praise God, I thank God for the opportunity to be able to do that. But really what I'm talking about is a, a worship that isn't just around a song service. And that's why it's important for you to understand that worship is countercultural because there are going to be times that you don't feel like worship. Which leads me to my next thought about worship. Worship costs you. Just like this woman, and we read, we read it just very clearly here. Part of the reason why the religious people were so upset is because in verse number three, it explains that a woman with an alablaster jar Historians write that any costly ointment or perfume was always kept. The most valuable was kept in an alabaster jar. It was very expensive. Some theologians and scholars write, I mean, I read something this morning that was saying it was potentially worth $20 million in our day and age. Now, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Most uh, people agree most scholars agree that it was about the cost of one year's salary. So let's just say the average salary in Australia is probably about 170, oh, 175, we are all dreaming, is about $75,000 a year, 70,000, I'm not completely sure. I need to look at the Australian Bureau of Statistics to find out. I should have been more researched and study. But let's just say it's worth about $75,000. <coughs> what an extravagant gift that this woman who's probably poor, especially considering that this woman wouldn't have been able to, um, wouldn't have been able to, to uh, most women weren't able to work in this, in this time. So she potentially could have inherited this oil from generation to generation. And here she finds the most fitting place to pour out on the feet of Jesus, pour out on the head of Jesus. See, worship, this is number two, worship costs you. 
And I pray that this year that you would become acclimatized with this idea that following Jesus costs you everything. I'm really committed more than ever this year to not sugarcoat the the Bible to you. I don't care about crowds. I don't care about attendance. I don't care about those things. I care about Jesus being glorified. And the only way that Jesus is going to be glorified in the gospel preached is when you and I realize that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to lay down our whole lives and worship costs something. Another way that word that we could use for worship is devotion. And devotion is not a pop, it's not popular in today's day and age. <coughs> Devotion is not popular in today's day and age. We're more about convenience and comfort than we are about devotion and worship. We don't come to church if the weather's bad. We don't don't come to church because it's inconvenient. We don't come to Sunday services because it's inconvenient at times, because it's difficult at times, because this is going on or because that's going on or sometimes just because we can't can't be bothered. And the true measure of the glory in our worship is an immediate measure of the sacrifice and the devotion that is really coming from our heart. And because in the Western church we've been more about trying to make our auditoriums comfortable, making Christianity convenient, let's just make the services shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter because life's different now. Life is different and I'm all for us um, using tools and I'm all for us, I'm all for us, um, you know, growing as time grows and speaking the language of the day. But more importantly, not at, at the expense of discounting our devotion to Jesus. We've preached a gospel that says God wants to give you stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff so that we're comfortable enough and so that worship becomes easy and convenient, but devotion and commitment and worship cost you something. And I want to tell you right now that I believe devotion and commitment, they're unpopular words right now, but they're going to be words that you love and cherish as you make decisions sacrificially with your life to worship Jesus. See, true devotion, we've already established, isn't just about a Sunday worship service. That's a really important part of our devotion to the Lord. But true devotion and sacrifice involves so much more, so much more holistic. In fact, Acts chapter 12, 1 and 2 um, shows us that devotion is about our whole lives. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about true devotion and sacrifice that it involves our words. Hebrews 13, 16 shows us that true devotion and worship involves our works. Philippians 4, 18 shows us that true worship and devotion and commitment uh, involves our gifts. Philippians 2, 17 shows us that true devotion and worship is more than a song service and it shows us that it is about our service. It involves our service. And worship costs you. 
And the sooner that you and I come to terms and come to grips with this idea that worship costs us, the sooner we begin to let go of the things of the world in order to recklessly follow Jesus. So I suppose a question to you today is, when was the last time worship cost you? When was the last time? The third thing is that worship is personal. Worship is personal because others can't determine what comes out of your life. And because it's personal, others should not determine what it looks like. In other words, in like, like we have in this story, the disciples and those that were with Jesus started having this conversation of this isn't right, this shouldn't be happening. Um, we could have used this for the poor. We could have done this and that, of which obviously Jesus shuts it down. But our complication that we need to, or one of the things that we need to consider today is, is are we concerned with what others might think about our worship? Now, to be really honest with you, and maybe I'm, oh, this is COVID and so I'm a bit grumpy, I'm not really sure. But to be really honest with you today, most of us don't offer a sacrifice in our worship. So it never has a bearing on the person next to us anyway. We're in a generation with socially acceptable worship. And our devotion has been tamed to fit the mold, to ensure that it doesn't upset or make anyone comfortable. Someone will always, listen to me, when you bring true worship, someone will always have an opinion of your worship. But it's not the opinion of others that really matter. It's the opinion of the one that you and I choose to worship that matters most. Some will say the worship's too loud. Some will say it's too, it's, it's too much. Some will say it's too little. Some will say it's too loud. Some will say it's too soft. Some will say it's too long. Some will say it's too short. Some will say a whole lot of different things about worship depending on what your worship is. And it just goes to, to prove the story. Like, like in Mark chapter 12, just two chapters before, Jesus goes out of his way to point out a woman in verse number 41 in Mark 12 to point out a woman that put just a single copper coin, it was called a mite, and and put it in put it in the offering um, in the offering basket. And he says this in four, verse forty three, calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, "Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put everything in, all she had to live on." And Jesus went out of his way to point out that this is just one copper coin. But because there was a heart attached to it, it was something powerful. Fast forward two chapters, Mark 14, this woman gives, not out of her abundance, but she gives all that she has. Possibly most people agree that it was her most costly possession. And she gives it all at the feet of Jesus. Everything at the feet of Jesus. Her, her gift was too big. The woman in Mark chapter 12, her gift was too small. Both gifts, listen to me, were priceless because they were personal. Our song services are powerless because they are not personal. 
Worship is so powerful when it's personal. And it doesn't matter what the worship like, look like what it looks like, whether it's a mite or a year's salary worth. It does not matter. What matters most, what matters the most is, is it personal? Is there a cost attached to it? True worship is not about the about about the thing that you give. True worship is about the heart that is attached to it. And what the Lord is looking for in this time is uncalculated devotion, not a devotion that makes sense to our budget, not a devotion that makes sense to our mind, not a devotion that makes sense to what is socially acceptable but a devotion that is cheerful, extravagant, joyful. Second Corinthians tells us that God loves, the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible doesn't say that God loves a carefully calculated giver. Ultimately, Jesus is not looking at the action itself, but he is looking at the love which prompts that action. And so really worship is a reflection of what love is in, found inside of us for Jesus. And if we replace that word worship with the word devotion, with the word commitment, and we start talking about worshipping in the same context of as, as worship of Jesus, commitment to Jesus, devotion to Jesus, then we really start looking at what is in our hearts. And my last point is just that worship breaks protocols. As a rule in the, in the, in the um, New Testament times, it was a breach of etiquette for a woman to interrupt a Jewish male kind of fellowship or food or, or dinner time or meal or gathering unless they were serving food. Times have changed. Don't send me any emails. It's all good. Mark often reminded us in his writings um, However, that societal and even Jewish values are not necessarily equated to Jesus' values. And worship breaks protocol. And I suppose I don't want to spend too much time, uh, more time today, except to ask you these questions. What does your worship look like? Most true worship will break protocol, by the way. It'll cause you to act out in a way that is out of the box that people don't expect. Worship breaks some of these social etiquettes. I think the thing that's important to say about that in our Pentecostal environment is worship doesn't draw attention to self, but it brings glory to the one that we worship, and his name is Jesus. I've seen people in the name of the Spirit moving take all the attention off Jesus and onto themselves. And, friend, that's not worship. But worship does break protocols, and there are times where God's going to ask you to do things that are radical. And that's what I want to preach. I want to preach this year about radically following Jesus. I want to preach, and I want you to be inspired that on that other side of your radical worship to him, your devotion to him is something unbelievable, is the miraculous, is 
encounter with God. That might mean breaking protocol. It might mean standing in contrast to the world. It might mean laying down your life and and work, like as we've said, worship costs you. It might cost you. It might cost you everything. It might cost you your house. It might cost you all the money in in the world. It might cost you your dignity. It might cost you a whole lot of things. It might break the protocols. But friend, I want to tell you, is worth it. Worth it worth it because Jesus is worth it. Father, we thank you today. Help us to be worshippers. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us this year to radically follow you wherever you lead us. Help us to live uncalculated but fully devoted lives. We honour you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching. Check out online our website, click the north or the east link to find out what's happening in your community and uh, we look forward to connecting with you soon. God bless you.